0: Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. As always, I'm your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at Of Scrum, I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. You can always just drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So I certainly saw some very exciting rugby this weekend so why don't we kick off the show so starting us off with our current updates and you know what in my own life we're obviously going to talk about the rugby highlight of my week later as i did go to see my beloved Free Jacks taking on dc old and gory from the eastern conference final but while i was there i got an incredible surprise which was an opportunity to meet olympian and recent rugby world cup winner stacy waka you know that thing where your instincts are telling you something and your brain's like no no that's not what it is that's not what you think it is that, that was like this experience where stacy walker literally walked right past us and my instincts were like world champ she's right there world champ she's right there whatever part of my brain that's actually in charge of action was like nah probably not and and how awkward it would it be to ask someone who isn't stacy walker if she was stacy walker but somehow you know what i fought through Even though she'd gone a full 20 feet past me, I I somehow remembered, wait, her brother isn't playing today, but he's here. I literally just saw him standing around exactly where she seems to be headed. And I was like, Stacy? God love her. She heard and turned around and even came back to intercept me exactly as as you'd imagine. She was kind and funny and just super cool overall. There's a great pick from the moment on Twitter if you've somehow missed it. I thought it was so great that she took a few moments to just sort of chit chat. We just actually just gabbed about rugby for a while. But you know what? It was also super cool that she was just there to support her brother, despite his not even being in the match day 23 that time. The, the, their family just seems to really understand what's important in this world. Stacey Waka, thank you for your time and for being amazing. Please come on my show. Come chat. I promise you will have fun. He's it. He's Well, Isaac, it's certainly good news for Henry Thomas, at least. So, quoting here from the dreaded Wales Online, quote, new Wales World Cup star Henry Thomas has won his club versus country battle after choosing to play for Warren Gatlin's side. The former England prop, who also qualifies for the red jersey, was warned by French aces Montpellier. The decision to complete his international transfer to Wales could cost him his club job. Montpellier, last season's French champions, spelt out the situation because they wanted thomas to focus on his club rugby he still has a year left on his contract with the top 14 side it set up the prospect of the highly rated forward joining one of four welsh regions next season and in doing so taking a huge pay cut however montpellier have done a u-turn and say they will continue to back thomas it frees him to focus up on a wales world cup campaign without the extra worry of what happens to his club career the Ospreys might have led the Welsh chase to sign Thomas with their tight head rock. Thomas Francis likely to be leaving himself for French rugby. Uh, that would have led the major uh, to, to the major pay reduction after the world cup for Thomas, given the regions are having their budget significantly trimmed for next season. But, the rugby paper report everything has changed because of the intervention of Montpellier's multi-billionaire president Mohed Altrad, said to be the richest man in world rugby. He insists Thomas must remain on the payroll after Wales the, the Wales newcomer's excellent form towards the end of the French League campaign and is too valuable to let go. Thomas had originally been signed to cover other front rowers on World Cup duty without imagining he would be playing in the tournament himself. Quote, Henry will be coming back to us after the World Cup. You can never have enough tight head props of proven quality, unquote Montpellier's new forwards coach Richard uh, Richard Cockrell told the publication, quote, Henry did well towards the end of last season. We're going to need him because once the World Cup is over, we play 18 weeks on the bounce, the vast majority of them in the most physical league in the world, unquote. Ugh, I mean... You know, every time I even hear Ultrod's name, I kind of get the willies, but if he can use his seemingly endless wealth for something good for a change, uh, like, I don't really want to question it, you know? So moving on to our thoughts of the week, and my thoughts this week are actually back on Eddie Jones and what he might end up doing for Rugby Australia. So I, I saw a great article talking about the importance of not just coaching players, but of coaching coaches. And I've really kind of been chewing on it ever since, I guess. So quoting here, quote, With yet another Super Rugby title safely locked away in Christchurch, frustrated Australian fans look on and wonder despondently, what is the point of it all? The number of Australian franchise winners in crossover games against New Zealand opposition remains stubbornly low. This season, six wins. And while losing margins have shrunk, the competition remains undeniably lopsided. Despite a valiant effort by the Reds in Hamilton in 16 finals matches across the Tasman, Australian sides are yet to taste success. At the test level as well, Australia hasn't had its hands on the Bledisloe Cup since 2002. Theories as to why and possible solutions abound, but the single factor that appeals as the one most likely to shift the dial in any meaningful and sustainable way is coaching. It's an emotive topic. Rugby fans tend to focus on the individuals, often in a, a binary way. Scott Robertson, winner of seven straight titles, is lauded as a gun. Aaron Mauger, by courtesy of being in charge of wooden spooners mono Pacifica, is tagged a dud. Professional clubs across a range of sports tend to follow a similar path. The cycle starts when a new coach is appointed in an accompanying uh, social media-driven blaze of optimism, then once the honeymoon period is over, if the results aren't as hoped, pressure, real and implied, is applied to the organization and the coach by media sponsors and the fan base. Inevitably, a losing head coach will be said to have lost the dressing room, or be difficult to deal with, or a great guy who unfortunately doesn't have what it takes Soon enough, the obligatory full support of the board rears its head shortly before the hapless coach uh, skulks off into the sunset and the net is cast once again. To be clear, just like players, some coaches are more talented and capable than others, but the individual competency spread is, is far narrower than mo- what most people think. Think, winning coaching is a culmination of multiple factors. Faded German football coach uh, Matthias Sammer, commenting in the book Mench Behind the Cones by Jonathan Harding, explains how, quote, the head coach in the key role is a component to the system, but they aren't the system. We have to strengthen systems that simultaneously protect coaches in order to understand how coaches work, unquote, that means that within a franchise structure, the head coach is just one piece, albeit a critically important one, in a complex puzzle comprising the board, executive management, director of rugby, recruiter, assisting, assistant coaches, medical and strength and conditioning staff, player roster, ancillary and other support staff, all underpinned by the infrastructure and financial resources available. If only one of those blocks is out of place, outcomes are compromised, they're There wouldn't be an Australian franchise since Super Rugby began that hasn't had multiple shortcomings in every single season. And while these impediments might be easy enough to identify, they're devilishly hard to overcome. What is clear, however, is that Australian rugby's coaching ills run far deeper than the goings-on at its individual franchises and the particular merits of each head coach. Ex-National Head of Athletic Performance for Rugby Australia, Dean Benton, identifies a chronic lack of strategic direction. And the failure to design and implement a cohesive coach development plan is the biggest impediment facing Australian rugby. Quote, no sport can progress and grow without good quality coaching, he, he tells the roar. These coaches don't just appear out of nowhere. They must be identified and developed. Unquote. Benton points to examples from overseas where a focus on coaching has paid dividends. Quote, the success of Finnish ice hockey in the last 25 years provides Australian rugby with a clue currently ranked number one and number three, respectively, in the men's and women's ice hockey. How does a country of just 5.5 million people compete so well against major ice hockey nations with bigger populations, more financial resources, and greater rink density per capita, he asks. Answering his own question, Benton explains how prior to hosting the 1997 World Championships, Finland invested heavily, adding more coaching staff into their seven regions and creating director of coaching positions at all major clubs. These appointments were uh, purposed to coach coaches, not players. All appointments were individuals who met strict criteria, coaching experience at elite level and demonstrated understanding of teaching, coaching andragogy and modern learning science. Dave Hadfield was at the heart of New England's, uh, New, New, England, New, Zealand's, uh, New Zealand rugby's uh, coach development for 24 years, straddling the transition into professionalism. Now a consultant to World Rugby and the MLB Toronto Blue Jays, Hadfield offers up three points of difference that set New Zealand apart from Australia. Quote, Firstly, we've been doing this for a long time, he says. Ever since Bill Freeman was crisscrossing the country in the 1970s, we've had a focus on coach development. Then in 1994, we started running a course developed in conjunction with Massey University, the New Zealand rugby practicum, out of which came coaches like Wayne Smith, Steve Hansen, Chris Boyd, and numerous others who all rate as foundational in their development as coaches. Unquote. Post two thousand and seven, that evolved into annual two by th- uh, two by three day wo- uh, two two times three-day workshops with two separate streams, one specifically for Super Rugby coaches and another for NBC coaches. I didn't know that. Uh, that feeds into the second factor, which is that we recognized the importance of collaboration, quote, blending essential characteristics like leadership, creativity, humility, and vulnerability. We developed a sense of everyone being part of something bigger than themselves and their own franchises, provinces or clubs. As a result, creating such a positive environment and culture with all coaches harboring a voracious appetite to share and learn from each other. And for that IP to flow down into all reaches of coaching, New Zealand rugby has benefited, unquote, he explains. Communication channels between Wallabies and Super Rugby coaches have improved in recent years, but the extent that Australian rugby is overlaid by historic uh, parochialism, silo building and protectionism remains, by comparison, problematic. Unquote for that big article. There is, in fact, a lot more. And I really recommend reading the whole thing. It's It's fascinating. As always, you will find the link to it in the show notes. okay that of course brings us to our our reviews and you know what i totally forgot to mention in the last few weeks that the under 20s rugby world cup has arrived it actually started last weekend and continued on this weekend it's already given us a couple of nice surprises so on saturday june 24th argentina Opened a can of whoop ass on Italy, forty three to fifteen, while England and Ireland drew at thirty four apiece. France obliterated Japan, seventy five to twelve, while New Zealand just managed to sneak past Wales, twenty seven to twenty six. Australia beat Fiji by nine. It was forty six to thirty seven in that one, and finally South Africa did beat Georgia, thirty three to twenty three. But then, this past Thursday, the group stages continued with Australia losing to Ireland at ten to thirty. France. Easily dispatched New Zealand, 35 to 14. Wales looked fantastic in their win over Japan, 41 to 19. Argentina were shut out by Georgia. Didn't see that one coming. 0 to 20 by the end of that one. And England dominated Fiji 53 to 7. The big news, of course, was Italy in abominable conditions took down the host nation, beating the baby box on their own turf. (laughs) or in this case the mud pit it was 34 to 26. what a result for that one meanwhile there was also a single fixture in australia featuring the Wallaroos versus the black ferns i honestly couldn't you know parse out the wherefore of this match it was was kind of funny because I subscribed to the email list from Rugby Morning, highly recommended as always, by the way. But if I'm honest, I've been a little wary of reading those emails ever since a key result was published in the Women's World Cup late last autumn uh, before I knew the outcome. So this week on Friday, I kind of glanced at the subject line and I saw, I thought, Wallaroo, quote, Wallaroo's Wallop, unquote, and boom, I, I deleted it. I was super bummed, assuming I had just given it away for myself, imagining you know, various iterations of these headlines like, Wallaroo's Wallop unsuspecting black ferns or Wallaroo's Wallop world champions at Dolphin Stadium. However, man, this time it was quite the opposite. I have to assume the headline actually went more like Wallaroo's Wallop at the hands of their fiercest rivals or something to that effect because this one was a complete blowout. New Zealand would go on to rout the Aussies 50 to nil, a real surprise result for me, at least though. I, I would have tapped the Black Ferns to win, but a, a half-century shutout just seemed a little bit out of the blue. Not a good start to the uh, Pacific Four Series for Australia. I heard some talk about how the Aussies have poured all their money into the sevens to the great detriment of the 15s. So I do have to wonder, you know, Ireland did much the same thing as well. So I guess we'll have to see where that's going. But of course, as I say, this was part of the Pacific Four Series openers, which completely <laughs> snuck up on me. I, I apologize for not even leading into that in the last couple of weeks at all. So elsewhere, Canada completely smacked us around, also scoring 50 incredibly, though we did manage 17 points for the USA. Interesting start for the Pacific Four series. Okay, next up, obviously, it was Major League Rugby for our conference finals. We began, of course, with my beloved New England Free Jacks versus D.C. Old Glory. What can I say? What a day. Apart from meeting Stacey Walker, just who happened to walk by me, I also got to chat with a quartet of players who weren't in the 23, but are still incredible. The weather, which had threatened to be scorching, turned out to be cloudy and much milder. The the sellout crowd was electric and we got there nice and early to soak it all in. So quoting here from the official match report, quote, the New England Free Jacks crowned themselves Eastern Conference champions. Thanks to their dominant victory over Old Glory D.C. on Saturday evening, beating their rivals 25-7 at Veterans Memorial Stadium, Scott Matthews' team has secured a place in the championship final in Chicago on July 8th. In his first game since a Week 18 player of the week performance, New England's LaRue Milan picked up exactly where he left off, receiving the ball from Jason Potras in the fifth minute, the Namibia International planted a hand on the chest of Doug Frazier to score beneath the post. To extend the home team's lead further, Andrew Quatran benefited from a strong set piece to rumble across at the back of a mall while Patras' penalty shortly after, a compounded DC's slow start. There were shoots of life for the visiting team, a concentrated period of pressure from Old Glory Sod New England penned deep within their own 22, although lapses in execution largely meant that Josh Sims' team did not take advantage of their dominance withstanding such constant pressure was surely a confidence boost for Scott Matthews free Jacks gradually pushing old glory back towards their own try line DC infringed at the breakdown giving Patras a straightforward shot at goal with the clock at the red coming out after halftime the objectives for both sides were clear old glory had to make momentum Go their way and execute where it mattered while New England aimed to play with the confidence they began with. Quickly, it was the home side in front of their ravenous support. That's right, that's us. That seemed to be on the front foot. Uh, Spending plenty of time in DC's 22, Patras could not reach across the try line uh, in contact, while it took a last-ditch junior uh, Seu tackle on Taniella Philamone to prevent New England from pulling further clear. It was an almost inevitable that the Free Jacks finally crossed the whitewash, largely as a result of an old glory mistake. Kurt Baker knocked the ball, uh, knocked on the ball on halfway. Mills Sanarivi found Joe Johnston, who in turn passed the ball to John Poland. The scrum half would offload to Ben Lesage, the centre kicking the ball into space for Filimone. For to dot down. With less than 10 minutes to play, threatened uh, Palamo would gain a score for his team after gathering a Tito Bonilla crossfield kick and weathering a Reese McDonald tackle attempt. Each side would have felt they squandered opportunities before the final whistle. New England knocked on after the conclusion of a brilliant passage of play. But the game won, Though New England will play in their first championship final, where they will face <laughs> of course, by the time uh, when they wrote this article, either the Seattle SeaWolves or the San Diego Legion. I actually have to. Uh, I'm kind of embarrassed. I as soon as the, this game was over, I posted, "Okay, we're going to be playing San Diego," and lots of people were like, "Uh, you don't know that yet." Yeah, we did. We all knew that. Anyway, I will be on hand for that very match, and I cannot wait. Go Free Jacks! Okay, the other conference final in the MLR this weekend was san diego legion the rampaging side out west facing two-time champion seattle seawolves <sighs> gotta admit didn't actually have a chance to see this one and then when i was kind of trying to find a way to to watch a replay i accidentally looked at twitter and ruined it for myself so i'm just going to go to once again the the match report from the official website it read san diego legion 32 10 Seattle Seawolves while San Diego arrived into the Western Conference final as favorites. Those credentials were put to the test in the opening 10 minutes repelled repeatedly as the Southern Californians camped themselves deep inside Seattle's half. It took the experience. Oh my God, it was so good of Ma- uh, Nanu to ignite the Legion's victory at 41 years young. Nanu would knock over a drop goal to set the wheels in motion and continued to show his willingness with a 5022 moments after the restart God, what the f Ma'ananu, can you like i mean you're you're a legend can you stop like potentially being the bane of my team's existence it's enough already i, I read that that was his first drop goal ever by the way and uh, how could it not be but yeah anyway so following the hydration break, uh, Will Hooley would double the Legion lead with a penalty, the fly half making the kick with ease in front of the post. As the first half drew to a close, Jordan uh, Chate put the Seawolves on the scoreboard with a penalty of his own, setting up the final 40 for a grandstand finish. Clearly emboldened by their positive end of the first hack, ha, uh, half, Alan Clark's Seattle would wrestle momentum to be in their favor, Samuel Manoa, I think I've seen him in sevens, uh, would cross the try line during this period, although the scorer was disallowed for a knock-on by the hulking lock in the act of scoring. Seattle's inability to score would haunt the side in the end. (laughs) Their inability to score would haunt them. Yeah, I feel like that's that happens in sports. Uh, Thomas, uh, I think it's Ayoake would benefit from the elusive running of Marcel Brasch, the center stepping his way into space before offloading to Michael Smith. Hey, I got that one right. The Canada international dragging in defenders before passing to his wing in space to score. Brash was in the thick of the action again just moments later. This time the 35-year-old was the try score. The back latching onto a a, a hack through by hooker Shiloh Klein, who, was, uh, uh, who reacted quickly to the loose ball falling to his feet. There was a brief glimmer of hope for the Seawolves as Ben Landry dotted down seconds after Nate Silvia was shown a yellow card for straying offside. But it was an optimism which quickly vanished. San Diego scored directly from the kickoff. Mike Teo's high restart evading the Seawolves defensive pod and Jeremiah Nassio in the backfield. Ayoake catching the ball and scoring unopposed soon enough. The legion were restored to their full complement as time ticked away the healthy snapdragon stadium crowd celebrated in unison as Hooley fired the ball into the stands with all dawning red and black knowing that glory awaits unquote well we shall see my friends i guess we shall see <laughs> That music, you'll of course know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award, and this week the award goes to John Poland of my beloved Project. Mister Poland, you helped deliver the biggest win in franchise history with another incredible performance, and did so on the night of your fiftieth cap. All. With New England, week in and week out, you are a major factor in our ongoing success, but somehow managed to fly under the radar with the media, seeming to prefer the flashy wingers, and the rampaging front rowers. And for me, your name simply doesn't get mentioned nearly often enough. You were the glue that held us all together as we reached new records in front of new record crowds, You truly exemplify the incredible team culture that we're so lucky to see on display at Fort Quincy and on the road, year in and year out. Mr. John Polland, congratulations to you for you are this week's well-deserved Diamond in the Ruck Award winner. Well done, my friend. Okay, my friends, that brings us to our updates and previews. And you know what? The boringly named Rugby Championship is back this coming weekend. It's heavily truncated this year because of the World Cup, blah, 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 blah. But I will take what I can get this weekend. Things get started with the Springboks, hosting the Wallabies in Pretoria, followed by Argentina welcoming New Zealand to Mendoza. Their first time visiting this particular venue, I have a feeling it's going to be very tough for the All Blacks. This also marks Eddie Jones' first game as the Australia coach, at least this time around. I have a feeling it could be interesting. In the Pacific Four series, we, and by that I mean USA, travel to Australia to see if we can rebound after, uh, frankly, a thrashing. But, of course, the Aussies will certainly be looking to do the exact same thing. Very curious about that one. Then Canada get a visit from the Kiwis, who come to TD Place Stadium in Ottawa where seven Grey Cups in the CFL have been played, by the way. It can fit more than than 50,000 people in that venue. I would love to see a huge turnout. This Canada team really deserves it. Also, this coming week, the Under-20s Rugby World Cup keeps on keeping on. There's Premier Sevens action. I believe there's European Sevens actions as well. But for me, I mean, come on. The big thing is, of course, the Major League Rugby Shield final, I will in fact be traveling to the Windy City to take in the whole shebang with a festival atmosphere, Sir Shaquille O'Neal, I'm pretty sure he's a sir, right? Yeah, I think he's been knighted by like somebody. Uh, he's going to be DJing a block party ahead of time, uh, followed by a game in which we are serious underdogs, but guess what? It's at the Hounds' home stadium, so we want to be the dogs this time, right? Either way little nervous about it I'm, I'm also trying to plan some little segments that I can prepare just by virtue of actually being there in person if any of you have any ideas of the kinds of things I, I might be able to snag people I can you know buttonhole to interview real quick send me your ideas I would love to to just get some ideas I'm gonna be there in person I have a chance to do something we haven't done here before. So please get in touch and let me know. It's only a couple of days away before I'm on the road to Chicago. Go my beloved free Jack's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. My friends, that does it for another week. And as we enter full-on summer, the rugby continues to dry up. If you get on a stepladder with a pair of binoculars, you'll see a, f- a few things on the horizon like the Farrah Palmer Cup and the NBC in New Zealand, the boringly named and heavily truncated rugby championship, a random assortment of international warm-ups as we drag ourselves towards Rugby World Cup 2023. In the meantime, I have a few special guests, including two recorded just earlier today, lined up to keep us talking about rugby as we sit with our feet in buckets of water. We could have sworn had ice in it just a few minutes ago with sort of chintzy little fans chugging their hearts out to no great effect. So, as always, thanks again for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon and be well.